fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And this is episode 22 of the podcast. Woo-woo! Yeah, so this is uh, the first one back that we've had where me and Chris are actually talking post um, our trips, which will be the bulk of the podcast today. But we're also joined today by Matt Amrine. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> and uh, Matt joined uh, Chris. I mean, you were on the trip with Chris, right? Yes, I was. <laughs> so uh, it was uh, just the two of us. And then we met up with another uh, frequent page contributor from Kansas. So it was the three of us. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So um, just to kind of cover some basic stuff uh, that we've been doing over the past few weeks, at least on these, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, hunting your own hunt and doing the things that you like to do when you go uh, out on a hunt. We've talked about a really important one that I feel like I think that we're going to have uh, Aaron on here at some point to talk about tree stand safety, uh, based off of what happened to him last year. But we did a tree stand safety talk last, uh, last week, which I encourage anybody who's listened to this to go ahead and listen to that. I know it seems like it might be some boring stuff, but it's important stuff. Um, yeah, you want to be depressed. We should have him and Travis Moose on. Yeah. His girlfriend and that whole Ugh, experience. Bad, and bad stuff. Me and Matt were listening to it and I was like, you should tell people this. Like, I'm pretty sure you could convince every moron who's still not wearing a safety harness mm-hmm. to wear a safety harness. We're pretty close. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I said it last week. One of the things that is real simple to do is to go on any hunting internet page and say, hey, I don't have a harness. And guys will basically throw them at you. I have like um, three of them. Yeah. Right I've, now. I've got, and um, you've got three as well. To kind of clear things up, when I called everybody that doesn't wear one a moron, I was a moron for <laughs> years. And mm-hmm. uh, it's funny because I've had this conversation with so many people that played sports. Mm-hmm. You, you get a little athleticism or whatever, and you lift weights, whatever. You're young. You're bulletproof. And you're like, well, I'll just like land on my feet and like jump to safety like you do in a video game or like – you just have these stupid thoughts in your mind and then you hear about the dumb things that happen like when you faint out of nowhere or your equipment fails, fails. out of nowhere yep. and then you are screwed and that's, and that's the, the harsh reality of it. That's what people yeah. really need to yeah. think about. While, while some other dudes with your wife and they're wiping your ass and he's raising your kids, that's the reality. That's what you got to think about. Yeah, I, 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 after that. <laughs> I, I, I would say, uh, um, the whole, you know, jumping to safety thing out of a tree <laughs> doesn't necessarily go real well. Um, no. And, and, uh, I, I, as I added last week, um, it's also really important because there are people who take all the wonderful precautions of putting up a stand and wearing a harness, pick a tree that's not going to fall over. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of ash trees. There's a lot of widow makers out there. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Pick a tree near 
other trees that won't fall over. Well, that's that's another good point too. I was um, so it's kind of crazy too because I was sitting at uh, we'll call it Gillette Stadium where I have Tom Brady <laughs> and Drew Bledsoe on cam, uh-huh. and I'm sitting there. It's quiet. It's a quiet evening. Beautiful evening out. Early October, and all of a sudden there's this loud like cracking, and I look over, and there is a big ass oak tree, a young you know mm-hmm. not a 400 year old oak tree probably 14, 15 inches in diameter. Yeah. A good oak tree just falls over out of nowhere. And I'm like, dude, that you'd be screwed. Like, Oh, absolutely. You can be unlucky, but for the most part, I think that it's more, uh, you know, people not taking precautions and thinking all the way through things. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that all being said, um, one more update that I brought up last week that uh, if you are, I believe it's, it's open for out of state guys too. And you know, people are going to be pissed, but I, I make sure that people know this quota hunt month in Kentucky. Um, tons of things there. You can get um, points in Kentucky too. So, Oh wow. Yeah. So we, we do have preference points for certain hunts and that kind of stuff. You can't get them for elk but you can get them for um, lots of uh, open deer hunts. And there's a couple really good areas. Um, if you just like bow hunting, um, they do a lot of just bow hunting areas with uh, state parks and things like that. But also another couple hunts to think about that are in like January, I believe, is uh, the Blue Licks Battlefield one in Lexington, near Lexington. That is a right, I believe it, it used to be, and I still believe it is, it's a rifle hunt in January. So it's, wow. it, yeah. So, you, I mean, you can, you know, use whatever rifle caliber you enjoy. I mean, sands like a, you know, six and a half creed, 6.5 creed more. You're not allowed to use that in Kentucky um, on deer or elk. You can use it on coyotes, I believe, but that's about it. But those are open. Get out there. Pheasant quota hunt, sandhill crane and deer all open and uh they're all good hunts so there you that's go, all i've guys. got to say about that rick just blew all of your draw odds <laughs> <laughs> hey oh, you, put, you put it out there in the universe it's going to come back to you at some point right hey there you go well that's the thing and it's if i ruined someone's hunting in 2020 i think that it was probably ruined prior to me saying that probably um so with all this wonderful stuff said tell us about rick's mexico trip <laughs> so um first off i had a great time i got to spend uh, the entire week with my family um we went to cabo san lucas mexico one of my favorite places to go fishing one of my favorite places to visit and we went with my wife's uh family my mother-in-law her stepdad uh her aunts my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and my two kids, we, uh, the, the trip was, uh, one of those things where when you start it and you look back at it as you're going through the trip, you're like, huh, this was kind of like, um, some weird stuff to begin with. So when we, I think it was, uh, we, we got everything packed. We had everything set up for us to go. We had everything in our, uh, suitcases and we go to bed early. We're like, we're going to get up. I'm going to go get breakfast for the kids. We're going to drive to the airport. Smooth sailing. At 1230, 
in the middle of the night, we both get a text message from um, my wife's aunt who just says, our plane from CVG uh, is going to be late and we are going to miss our connection to Mexico. We can't get out. We can't get down there till Friday. So we wake up uh, to phone calls. We thought something was, you know, like somebody was hurt or something like that. And um, at one o'clock in the morning, we start to immediately panic because we've got to figure out, oh, well, we've had this vacation planned since March, essentially. How do we, how do we do this? So we got the joy of getting up at, I think, three at that point, and we had to be on the road at four, and we had to drive to Louisville for <clears throat> our flight to uh, Dallas. So we ended up getting everything switched around. We drove the hour and a half in the morning to Louisville, got, got on the plane, no problem, flew to Dallas, got to Dallas, made our flight to Mexico, no problem get down there it's um their hot season which is 85 degrees and a little bit humidity so it's really kind of like here only with less bugs and you know we get settled in at the hotel we get all our food we get everything you know settled and i start getting stuff to go uh fishing the next morning and uh i go out on the beach and to walk down in, onto the beach to figure out where i'm going to fish next morning and they've got the beach roped off. And I'm like, well, what the hell is going on here? So I look and it says no swimming, no fishing, um, basically no nothing. Well, a hurricane came in the week before and literally washed away a lot of the beach. But it also washed away two people in front of this resort, apparently. So two people died the week before we get down there. So they're really kind of worried about people fishing off the beach. So like the best fishing spot on the beach that I like to go to is now closed off. So I'm down there. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come down here. I'm just going to claim ignorance in the morning. So I get up, I get everything set up, get my rod ready. I walk down to the beach and I see a light come on and it's, it's dark and we're, I'm, I'm walking down there and the, this guy rides up on a four wheeler. He's like, are you fishing? I was like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I know. Stay out of the surf. Don't get in the waves. Fish your plenty of times. He's like, no, you can't fish right here. Like why fish here plenty of times. And he's like, just no fishing here anymore. Like, okay. And he's I'm like, can I fish here at all? He's like, yeah, down past those rocks. So I go down there, I get set up and I had bought this travel rod that was um, not my normal rods because my normal rods were getting rewrapped because the eyelets and guides had rusted out because salt air. So I've got this travel rod that I've got three ounce lures that I'm planning on throwing on this stuff. I consulted with my dad, my brother. And we figured out like, yeah, we sh I should probably be throwing this stuff. I get like three casts into it and my freaking lure just slingshots out into the ocean. So you know, 12 bucks gone there. So I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out again. Maybe the tie was wrong, whatever. Look at all my eyelets. Nope, nope, nope. Put another one on five casts later. It happens again. So $24 later, um, Rick's down that money. And we know now that this thing only throws two ounce baits. So <laughs> I tie, on, <laughs> I tie on top waters and I start throwing, uh, start throwing stuff and I'm getting short strikes. 
like the fish are coming up and they're like hitting it, but they're not taking it all the way. And I am like ripping this thing as fast as I possibly can. And all they are are these little, they're like probably, I want to say like three inch, three to four inch baits that are like this. And then they're like shiny in the middle and they got a treble hook on the end and they skip across the top of the water. And so I'm throwing this in an area and I finally uh, hook into something and it's a, it's a pretty decent sized needlefish. It comes up and throws the bait. It's like, okay, well, by this time, I made the promise to my wife, like, I'll only fish until 9 a.m. Then I'll head back up to the room, help with the kids, and, you know, get ready for the pool and that kind of stuff. So that was that day. I go that's out the a, next morning. With, huh? Right there. That's a rough start, right? Real there. rough start. Real rough that's start. Not looking good. No, no. And it, 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 it progressively just kind of like went down. There was good moments, but um, it, it, it just kind of went down from there. It's one uh, where you might be ordering the survey set about 9.30 after you get back. <laughs> it's, that, 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 that's about right. It was, uh, by the time I got back, had my coffee, it was, it was time for tequila at that point when I got down to the pool. So I get up the next morning and go out with a guide uh, that I go out, out with regularly down there. His name's uh, Wesley Bro. He's a Cabo Surfcaster online. Dude is like legitimately one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And I'll get into kind of some of the stuff that he's act, he's actually doing down there to help a lot of um, uh, the poor families who've like got COVID and that kind of stuff down in the area. His, his uh, dad is a missionary uh, that moved down there back in like the eighties and they built this church for the entire community and they've done a whole lot of really good work down there. But we go down I meet, uh, meet Wes and these three other guys, uh, and we go like, I, I want to say like 20 or 30 miles up the coast to like this random beach, like in literally in the middle of nowhere. Like we're, we're going over the top of a mountain in his, you know, uh, Toyota Tacoma, like going through these deep rutted paths have been like completely washed out due to this hurricane, um, quail flying everywhere literally just coveys of quail freaking everywhere down there it, it, it it's the most absurd thing i've ever seen like for for any of the older listeners imagine um like if you've ever been to like alabama or if you've ever hunted Damn. ohio or kentucky back in like maybe the 70s when quail were like real big i'm talking maybe 20 and 30 birds like just you know everywhere when we're hitting this brush it was nuts that's freaking sweet although right? i've heard you can get into good birds uh in the desert areas and stuff so oh yeah he he, he was awesome. he was telling me like uh, you know some of the ranchers still participate in it down there you got to go to like uh like pay pay ranches and that kind of stuff but he's like like dove and quail down there are just so numerous because it's absolutely ridiculous doves are stupid down in mexico it's, central america south it's america ridiculous, man like i they, talked to a they look a like dude. seagulls. Yeah, well, even more numerous than they're like starlings here. Yes, that's I, even I spoke with a guy a few years back, and he said, this is where you can kind of have a little more fun, as long as you're not complete stupid, <laughs> completely stupid when you go down there. So you'll sit there and drink a beer or two or six mm -hmm. while you sit there with a pouch full of shells. Yep. And they'll have basically like a beer and shell boy who just yep. reloads your pouch and make sure you have snacks and beer, water, yep. all that. 
and you literally blast the shit out of doves all day long. Yeah, and and when and you're then you don't have to that, clean them. <laughs> well, exactly. And when you're and when you're not doing that, there's places like in northern Mexico where you can go like on the border where they've got those huge lakes where the bass feed on tilapia and stuff. Yeah, not they, catch they fish. Run, they run like casts and blasts where you you throw. What did you just say? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, where you cannot catch fish. <laughs> yeah, where you cannot catch fish. That is cool, a cast fish. and blast. I like that. We should do that. We, we need to. We need to do like a small game hunt in like bass fishing or something like that. We could probably, I mean, we could pull that off here or Kentucky, really. Yeah. It'd be, I got to buy my Ohio license still. That That's the other thing I got. You gotta. should do that. Yeah. Come up off that rich counselor money you got, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes so much the power of the pen. Um, but on those border lakes, they throw Senkos and they, you know, those little like clickers that they like have like to let people mm-hmm. know how many people are like in a bar or like, yeah, like that kind of stuff. Like there's stories of guys catching like 130 fish a day, like in the morning and then going and blasting 60 doves in the evening. It's just absurd. <sighs> I would love to go do that. 60 doves. Jesus. Yeah. So, so, so going back to what I was talking about, we go and uh, we get to this beach and we start casting. Um, none of us hook anything. So we all pile back in the truck and go to a different beach where he tells me, he's like this beach, you know, two years ago, he's like th- at this time, cause he wasn't there at that time last year. Cause apparently September in Mexico is not a real great time for fishing as you're about to find out just so you're all aware for inshore fishing, at least offshore for tuna, perfect in short spoiler alert spoiler alert so um we go to southern beach um don't hook anything but then we go down next to my resort and if you ever watch any of his stuff he's like on these huge like monster like rocks above above the ocean and uh so he ties me on a lure and he like tells me to follow him so i climb up i'm probably I want to say 35 feet up on like this rock face casting and you look down and all these fish are down there and I could get the fish to chase, but I could never get them to bite. But the scarier part of this is that I'm on maybe a, I'm on this rock face and I've got maybe like a 10 foot like area where I can move around at, and the waves are hitting the rock and coming up and hitting me in the face. Like it, the, the waves are coming in that hard. Um, Damn. Yeah. So a little nerve wracking. So, don't catch anything that day. The next two days I fish, I hook fish, I lose fish. Then I go back out on Monday with him and I've got like two more days after this. So it's just me and him at this point and we're talking. We drive back up to where we thought um, we were going to catch Dorado. So we get up there and I hook something right off. Uh, It pulls drag. We aren't sure what it was, but it runs and then pop like nothing like it throws the bait. It's like, okay, we go to the next beach and I, um, I go down, start casting and all of a sudden like too many surveys as the day before, along with being in the sun and I need to use the bathroom. So I run up the beach next to this abandoned house so I go up and do my my business and I run back down and his his rods doubled over. And I'm like, oh, oh he's got he's got a needlefish. 
And like, he's yelling at me. He's like, I got a Dorado on. He goes, get down here. So he, I run down, I get the rod and he's like, I'm going to go get the, he goes, I'm going to go get the camera. I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the video. So he runs back up to his truck and he's like, whatever you do, he goes, don't force it. And he goes, keep the rod tip low. So just like fighting a smallmouth, right? You don't want to force the rod tip. Lo- oh, okay. So you're trying to put it in the water to keep it trying from to put tail it in the water. Cause the, their first instinct is just like a smallmouth. It's to shoot out of the water and start shaking its head. Okay. Lodge the bait. So I've got it on. It's ripping drag. Um, <clears throat> I'm keeping the rod tip low wave comes in. I reel like I'm supposed to big wave comes in bottoms out. This fish jumps clear out of the water it's and it was the coolest thing ever um it just jump it jumps and then like the tiniest bit of slack line and here comes the bait at me and there goes the fish so well there's one there's more right so we start seeing them jump through the waves so there's dorado there like we're, we're casting to him we just can't get to him and is the, a dorado a mahi mahi so okay or dolphin like in florida you might dolphin. call it dolphin or, or whatever <laughs> What's the big deal about these, though? Like, you can catch these anywhere. You can't catch them from shore anywhere, though. Oh. Yeah. So this okay. is this is literally, like, one of the only times of year and one of the only places in the world where you can cast and you from the shore and catch these things. They okay. come in close enough, like, within 100 yards of the shore because the sea shelf d- dumps off so quick. You know, you're, you walk out 10 feet, and you're in 60 feet of water whoa yeah so i mean it it dumps off real quick that's why the waves are so big and that's why they get so much bait in the areas down there so another guy comes up and we're talking and all of a sudden the water just freaking erupts like 150 yards down and i'm like fish we take off running and i mean dead sprint like fastest i've ever probably ran since i've been 20 like below age 30 um take off sprinting down the beach um and it's not like it's not like a flat beach so it's like this so imagine running across a mountain face or a very like a a, what's a sand dune imagine running as fast as you possibly can across a dune face for 150 yards and then trying to catch your breath and make 150 yard casts it doesn't go real well. So we cast, we cast, we cast. Nothing. They're, they go back out like 300 yards, and he's like, okay, well, we're going to throw the drone up now, which was really kind of cool. So he puts his drone up, and you can see the fish like out that far, but then there's schools of jack coming in, that kind of stuff. So we start throwing to those. They're coming in and chasing the bait, but again, short strikes. They're, they're like not taking the bait. So as we're driving back, it, it essentially, he's like, tells me, he's like, I've been busy this month of September, mainly because everyone's sick and not being able to go do stuff. So they're starting to come down here. But he said, I'm usually not like fishing this time of year because it's a transition period. So it's essentially like I hit the one time a year down there where the fish inshore like don't bite like real well. So he didn't tell you that like? Before you came to Mexico? I mean, the risk is there and you know it going into it because you're going to try to, you're trying for Dorado at that point. Ah, okay. But like, 
you know, most other fish like needlefish and that kind of stuff. And I fished down there in October before and I've caught big jacks, I've caught needlefish and we've caught stuff along those lines. But, you know, the opportunity for you to catch that kind of stuff is there. But the other problem that happens is, is that when you have those hurricanes come in, it comes in, it stirs up all that water, it gets the water all gross and it cools it off to where all those wow. fish start moving farther offshore depending upon when you have those storms. And we, there was a storm down there maybe like a week before I got down there. So unfortunately, um, I fished the entire week. I hooked 10 fish and I never landed one, never landed one. Um, saw plenty of fish, saw, you know, Eagle rays, saw, you know, jacks moving through the surf, all kinds of cool stuff, but, um, did not catch a single damn fish. So spoiler alert, Rick doesn't catch fish on his trip. <laughs> Unless Will Cates is around and then I always catch fish. <laughs> hey, the sad part is, is Will will never hear that. No. <laughs> But, so, I mean, I'm going back next year, so I'm hoping to go down in the summer when it's, you know, the bite's on fire, but I get to redeem myself here next weekend, and I get to go to Cumberland for a week, so fingers crossed that it's, uh, it goes well down there, but, um, yeah. No, nah, there's a weird noise out back. I feel like somebody's oh, okay. buzzing a quad <laughs> through my backyard or something. It's no. kind of weird. Um, so well, that, that sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it, it's still, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I felt was kind of good about being down there though, was, um, <clears throat> it's nice to see like an area that's been like negatively affected by kind of all this stuff going on. Um, they take it super seriously cause they want to work. They're super nice about everything and um they you know they want people down there so if you're questioning going down there or going um you know south of the border they just they just actually opened up the um the driving part of the border today they literally just opened it up today on the oh the cool season. so you can drive down you can fly down um at no point did i feel like unsafe they were super helpful with everything and most of those places are begging for people to come down there. I mean, sure. I mean, it's, you know, everything being affected and all that kind of stuff, but it was, it's a super fun trip. It's not a, it's not a long flight. I will say this though, point of, um, just knowledge for people. I did not know this until I got dinged for 30 bucks coming back across the border. You can carry rods as carry on stuff into Mexico you cannot fly back out with said rods as carry-on luggage out of Mexico. So my travel rod that I used as a carry-on all the way down um, was fine. Reels would have been fine in my check bag, in my, in my, uh, in my baggage too. I, you just can't have braided line on the reels uh, because they think, you know, you'll strangle somebody like a pilot sure. or whatever. And Slice their freaking throat. Well, Exactly. So you can travel down there with it, but coming back, um, I got all the way through TSA and was getting ready to like pick it up. And he's like, no, you got to go check that. I'm like, what do you mean? I carry this. And he, and, uh, I get back down to the woman's like, oh yeah. Um, 
if it's domestic, it's fine. But if you're coming from here to there, they won't let you do that. I'm like, that's ridiculous. She goes, yeah, $30. (laughs) It's like Ah. great way to end the trip. But so your in-laws have a place down there, don't they? Correct. Okay. So probably like get a couple poles and just keep them there, huh? I do. I, I keep that. That was the other part of this whole thing was I had to have those rods rewrapped and everything and I keep them down there. But they broke the last when I was down there for my anniversary last year. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'll get them rewrapped. So the guy at the store says three days. I'm like, awesome. So three days later, call and he's like, they're still not done. I'm like, well, what do you mean they're not done? He said three days. And he's like, eh, going to be more like five. They're still drying. Uh, wow. I, I, well, and I couldn't argue. It cost yeah. me $22 to fix two rods completely. Like for them Jeez. to re- for them to rewrap guides, for them to re-resin everything. I mean, I'm not going to argue it. It just kind of sucked. I didn't have my rods until like the very last day I was there. But right. I keep two rods down there. I keep baits down there. My reels I bring back and forth though. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So while you didn't go south of the border, you went west uh, and found, it sounds like, uh, quite the adventure um, with – Mule deer, white deer, or white deer, white, white deer. deer. <laughs> Have you ever hunted before? <laughs> yeah, uh, white plenty, deer. plenty of time. Now, it's been, it's been a I long killed day. a brown and white deer last year, but uh, <laughs> I haven't found a white deer just yet. Yeah, um, yeah, it was um, that that was a bro trip adventure that I think most people probably wouldn't slash couldn't do. Um, there was a lot of sort of ups and downs, mostly downs, honestly, uh, that just rough people up. Um, and we were roughed up on our way back, man. We we're just, the, uh, the mood was not great on the way back. We were pissed, but at the same rate, you know, when I, when I got home and rested up and wasn't tired and, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, all that, uh, I felt pretty good about, how we responded to everything out there, honestly. Um, so we went to Southwest Nebraska first Mm -hmm. and we tried to get in on these walk-in properties where, uh, ranchers will literally partner with the fish and wildlife and just say, Hey, you can hunt here. And I mean, there's just hundreds of thousands of acres. Oh, wow. To hunt. I think they get paid like $3 an acre or something like that. After oh, they, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. it's. I saw a sign in one of the little corner store slash gas station slash grocery store slash mm-hmm. everything store <laughs> down there. Like they had, uh, it was a like a legit sign from the, I guess, you know, whatever the DNR down there. And I, I saw $3 an acre, but I don't know what that was actually. Four, describing for yeah, but it looked like it was that program whatever they nice. call it out there the walk-in you know there's crp and walk-in and all blm and all that crap out i was there, gonna say but, does it butt up does all this stuff like butt up against like blm land and that kind of stuff just to create more access no it's just like random spots yeah it's just uh literally somebody's farmland typically holy crap um i'm sure it varies by state uh, you know there's some that are uh already cut you know, fields or mm-hmm. weed or whatever. And then you've got some guys that just have, 
you know, cattle grazing and you're running into cow patties and bulls and everything else out there. Oh, geez. That's kind of crazy. Like really when you think about it, but it's awesome that they have that type of program where you can, you know, have that. We have it in very minute quantities here, but it's like a dove field. It's not like a complete hunting access area. We went scouting water tanks. Mm-hmm. So, so we're in, we're in Southwest Nebraska. We get up, uh, I think it was the first full morning that we could scout uh-huh. and, um, or the first full day, sorry. Uh, we got there on like Friday evening and then, uh, Saturday we get up and, or excuse me. No, we got there Saturday evening, didn't we? Yeah. Saturday evening. So we get up Sunday morning. In the truck. In the truck. Yeah. So we get there and the camping system that we thought would be easy yeah, was like a, you got to have a pass to be in the park and then you got to pay X amount for camping and all this. And we're like, well, what in the living hell? Like, yeah. we don't know how long we're going to be here. We don't, you know, we don't know what the hell's going on. So then as I buy a, park pass or whatever for a hundred million dollars it seemed like and two hours of my time trying to get a credit card to work um the wind just picked up tremendously it was like 40 50 mile an hour winds they were crazy um so we decided that it would not be a good thing to try to set a tent up and get air mattresses and all that because we might look like Dorothy flying our ass up through the sky. It was crazy. <laughs> Go all the way so, back to Kansas. So me and Matt have already been in the damn truck forever. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that trip was 16 hours. And then we slept in the truck and that sucked. Two, how many days? Two. So we, we left here and slept in the truck for what about four hours? Yeah, three or four hours, I think. Oh my gosh. So three or four hours, got there, got out, stretched our legs, figured out what those little what were those damn things called? Some kind of like scratcher burr, sticker burr, something like that. Cockle I call burrs? them sand burrs. No, they're not cockle burrs. Cockle burrs are beautiful compared to these. <laughs> these these are about one fifth of the size and they will stick in your tires they're needle sharp oh my gosh yeah like you could flick one and it would stick into a tire what no shit i'm not even joking it's cray cray so then we sleep in the truck that (laughs) night after we scout and see absolutely zero deer um there's corn everywhere Mm -hmm. and when i say there's corn everywhere like people probably think like he probably means there's a lot of corn. There's mother freaking corn everywhere. <laughs> I was going to say, so like you're, you're driving, you're driving across, I mean, essentially the great plains. Um, it's for, for anybody who's not ever driven, like made that drive, like from, from like here out West one, I've made the drive to Kansas city, like Missouri slash Kansas one time. It was the most boring drive I've ever been on in my life because all it is is fields. And at that time, they'd cut all the corn, so there was no corn to look at. So (laughs) 
<laughs> in my head, I'm sitting here thinking like you're saying a lot of corn. I'm like, oh my god, it's 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 not just a lot of corn. It's the most corn you'll ever see in your entire life. Well, when we were actually coming back, it's a little skipping forward, but I know um, most people that pay attention to the weather know that derecho went yep. through uh, well about three week, three four weeks ago now. I yeah. guess it's been a yeah. while, um, but we saw just field acres and acres oh of corn just knocked down and it wasn't like flat but it was knocked over enough to where you know that it it got messed up and which there was still a ton of corn yeah <laughs> so i mean all that i i think i heard you know the governor or whoever said it could have been upwards of 50 percent of the state was affected by it and holy cow but when you couple what we drove through in Iowa and Nebraska, we still have some corn. So, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the we're we're not we're not in the uh, we're, we're not going to be worrying about running out of it. it. Might be it might be low, but it's not going to be as bad as we thought. Yeah, it's uh, it's just crazy, man, and it's very weird. And I still think that there's some little like lie that these locals tell all the idiots that are dumb enough to go out there, like me. And Matt, but um, I mean, it's the only thing I can come up with. The deer were all in the corn. A mule deer that is generally an open area animal that uses its eyes just as much of it as its nose, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of a whitetail. I mean, don't get me wrong; they use their eyes, but they prefer to bed on the edge of thick stuff and in thick stuff and all that. And mule deer don't; they they bed in the open from. Right what I've been told by all the Western hunters. I'm not an expert. (laughs) Not yet. Um, So we get out there and I mean, I just can't tell you how much damn corn there is in this state. There's more corn there than probably anywhere. Like everywhere there's corn. So then we get out there. We can't set up our tent. So another night in the truck. What a glorious night that was. We wake up. We go out. And we just pull into this walk-in, and there's a damn mule deer doe, right? And we're all looking in the fields, and Travis is like, look in the road. And we look up there, and 100 yards ahead of us, there's a mule deer doe. Oh, wow. And we're like, dude, we just got here. This is, this is, going, this is good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're on them already. We're, this is we're, beautiful. We're, we're, in the, we're in the land of milk and honey. <laughs> yes. So we chased her around and filmed her a little bit. We walked across just a big ass field all around this fence and then cross through the fence and trespass. I'm just kidding. It was walking. Um, but it, you know, you kind of don't, you know, here you're not used to crossing fences. Right. That's a, that's a no, 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 no. So there you're like, shit, man, am I, is this cool? Like Onyx says it's cool. There's a sign over there that says no trespassing. It doesn't say it here. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but we go and we jump another mule deer doe down in a big ass canyon, mm-hmm. and then we see some turkeys, and then nothing. Then we drive around a bunch more spots, talk to some local farmers and farmhands, and the lady that runs the check-in station, kind of like Matt said, which is slash gas station, grocery store, restaurant, uh, motel connoisseur, like you know, whatever. So 
everybody is telling us that these deer are in the corn. And if we come back when the corn's cut, there'll be plenty of deer. And we Which looked at when. the pictures. Uh, well, they said a week or two and they'd start cutting corn. Because keep in mind, they don't have beans like we do. They have some, but there's not a lot. So, okay. you know, for those of you that don't know, the farmers let the corn sit in the field here because they, they've got to get those beans up and out of that field because they fall off mm-hmm. of the plant. They fall out of the pod and all that and off the plant. So they get the beans out first and dry them, and then they go back and get the corn. Right. So that's why corn comes out so late. Well, they're, they're cutting corn, man. Now, they'll probably be cutting corn through November, but when you take out a bunch of the corn mm-hmm. and they're not watering it anymore – well, now their food source has changed a little bit. Their covers right. changed. And most importantly out there, their water. I can't tell you how much the water is just different out there. They have, me and Matt are serious, but we joke about this. Their irrigate, their water game is ridiculous. To irrigate the fields that they do, which BT dubs, these pivots, they call them, yeah. are running 24 hours a day. Yeah, the, the seven the, days now a the week. Pivots are the thing that like sit in the middle of the field and like yeah go yes. around, right? They go in a circle, which is yeah. why if you look on Onyx or something on an aerial map, you'll see a circular field. Yep. And then the corners will be like CRP or something. Right. So um that said, they have these tanks for their cattle that are also hooked up to pumps. And they basically have like a little float system in it, like a sump pump. Yeah. When they get so low, they pump more water in. I mean, and some of them just have, uh, okay. Yeah. Where they, you just turn that thing on and it pumps. So we're out looking around at these tanks in these like coolies, I guess, which is kind of like a little mini Canyon, mini Canyon. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not like a steep rock face or anything, but you get down in there. I mean, you're, there's no trees or anything really. So it's full sun. And even on a day where it's 75 degrees, dude, you feel the sun. It is taxing. It's dry. You need chapstick about every 30, 40 minutes. I mean, it's crazy. It's just different. You don't, you don't realize it until you do it. Um, there's probably 20 people right now that are like, Oh, you little bitch. But (laughs) I'm telling you until you do it, you just don't know. So, We get out there and we look at this water tank and we go to another water tank and we go to this little area where we think there's a pond and then another water tank. All of a sudden we look back for the truck and it is like a white dot that is a ways away. (laughs) (laughs) We're like mile, mile and a half from the truck, just kind of jacking around. So we basically came to the conclusion that day that we were stupid if we stayed there any longer. Mm-hmm. Travis had been up into another part of Nebraska and the northern part of Nebraska. He saw a bunch of beautiful whitetails, saw some bucks. They weren't big, but we decided that it'd be cooler to go up there, shoot a velvet buck, our first velvet animal, right, and have a good time and get some good footage and have something to talk about. Damn. We get up there. And we are not finding anything but does, white-tailed does. He never saw a mule deer when he went there scouting. And uh, it was just rough, man. We, yeah. we hiked our butts off. 
for those that follow the page and everything, um, me and Travis, Matt got smart. Me and Travis went and did 12.3 miles on day one of the season. I was, and that's, you know, that's with weighted packs and, you know, bows and all that. And, um, you know, in the heat and just, and it's just different out there. It's sandy. So like when you're walking up, I mean, imagine climbing sand dunes with yeah. a lot of grass. And then they have these things called yucca. It's yeah. Like my favorite word now. You know what yucca is? Yeah. Okay. The little leaves that stab you. Yep. <laughs> they suck. I don't <laughs> care what you put on. You put on what you want. It's going to stab you. And you're going to be like, mm, damn. So um, I'm going to kind of let Matt take over a little bit because yeah. Matt um, – one of the things that's really cool is I got Matt into hunting and uh, it's interesting to hear his perspective and I'm going to hand the microphone over to him for a little bit because okay. what he did to kind of switch things up was nothing short of impressive. And again, we have zero deer, you know, on our wall in our freezer because of mm-hmm. this, but here is one of the little things that we did one of the great decisions made that I think uh, we'll look back on and be proud of and uh, kind of makes for a cool story. So here, here's Matt. Right. He can tell you a little bit about it. All right. So I guess it was, that was the first day when we hiked all the way back. Yeah. So we, we decided to put boots on the ground and Travis had a couple spots in mind. Uh, we talked to, I think we talked to some local hunters that uh or at least a local guy at the bar i think that night before bar bar slash restaurant slash everything mm-hmm. and um and he was telling us kind of an area like oh yeah well if you're looking for mule deer they're they're typically over here not way down where you guys are are looking so you know, and we had already heard down in the southwest corner, like, oh, they're in the corn, they're over here, you need to go there. And yeah. So we're like, okay, sure, you know. <laughs> um, so we decided, you know what, we'll we'll get up, we'll put boots on the ground, let's cover some some ground and get eyes on the terrain and, and check it out. So we, I think it was like two and a half miles one way, and we went essentially to the other other edge of the the public that we could hunt Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't a bad hike until probably the last half mile was pretty much straight up i don't know what the elevation gain was there but it was a few hundred feet and a relatively short distance so we we get up there and to the edge we're you know we're at the fence 20 yards from the fence and kind of up on a plateau and and that's the thing about nebraska that just blew my mind and it's still like i try to tell people when they ask me i'm still getting asked every now and then like how was your trip and it is i mean you can't explain it and i think people that have been to these places would agree and it's just a a marvel of geography topography whatever you want to call it it just to be able to see the transitions and the changes in landscape in the distance that you cover 
I mean, we're in 45, 50 miles of driving through pastures and stuff on a tar chip mm-hmm. road to get to the town. And we get into town and, it, you know, it is what it is when you think of a very, very small, less, you know, probably a thousand people or less town in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. Yeah. Which was an awesome little town, by the way. Um, we won't name names, but it was a place that I would like to go back to just to kind of, even if it's just passing through on the way to something else, you know, Yellowstone, uh-huh. whatever. Um, you hit this town and everybody's super friendly. And then you go on to where we're, we're hunting and you're driving through more pastures and it kind of gets grassy and a little bit more gradual with rolling hills. And then all of a sudden, I mean, when we got there, I was talking to my wife and I had a you know, LTE and everything's great. And we get like 200 yards into the public and it's just a, you're all of a sudden going through winding hills, dropping like crazy. Really? And it's just trees everywhere and, and mountainous rock faces and cliffs and not what you typically picture Nebraska being. Well, not when you just spent two hours driving through the same boring. Exactly. And all of a sudden it's like you literally just gotten to a different, just a different place like you just teleported mm-hmm. to someplace else it's like driving through the middle of ohio and then all of a sudden you're in gatlinburg like it was oh, just wow. yeah it was just like oh okay so this is new like we haven't seen this <laughs> in a few states and then the crazy part is you get through that and then you're back into the prairie grasslands and it's all it's gone yeah you drive like 300 feet and 10 miles, five miles. And then it's just a diff, a completely different landscape there. And it's like, Oh, okay. So literally one side of this place is whitetail heaven. And the other side's where we see some nice mule deer and we never saw a whitetail up there and we never saw a mule deer, mule deer down on the other side. So, and I mean, that's not two and a half miles, maybe three miles, like just nuts. Really? So, yeah, we saw seven bull elk the first morning. Which uh, I didn't know that there was elk in Nebraska. Like, I had no idea that they had an established population there for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, there were some nice bulls. I mean, yeah. nothing, we're not talking 350 plus or anything. But, <clears throat> but they're bull I mean, elk. Yeah, I mean, seven of them. Like, just thundering across the pasture and I think jumping some fences i don't know if there were cows or horses down there but yeah it was pretty cool we saw them from about probably a thousand yards away or so um so we had hiked up got to the other side didn't see sign didn't we didn't jump a living thing on two and a half miles walking through some of the most gorgeous country you've ever seen so that was immediately right back down to being not depressed but just kind of scratching our heads like okay right. what what is happening here because we had just like chris said we you know travis had been up here a few weeks before that and said there's whitetails everywhere nothing mm-hmm. you know no monster bucks or anything but when you've only got a data scout someplace you've never been before and you're right. saying hey there's a ton of deer here like all right and to not jump one of them we're just like okay so what what's happening like let's start thinking 
and and kind of formulating the game plan here of how we can change this because this is not going well. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. kind of like the fishing trip. This is yeah. your, your first morning here. We're, we go back to camp and cook lunch, made some super sketchy burgers. <laughs> and, uh, oh, so, so somebody, we won't name names, but was, well, yeah, somebody was in charge of buying the food and then prepping and transporting said food to our destination. Well, they, nailed the the acquisition and the freezing of the food up front they they uh failed on the adding the ice later to the frozen meat <laughs> to make sure it didn't thaw completely days before we were ready to use it so we had two two packs of hamburger and i have pictures of this um one is it's ground beef it's pink it looks like ground beef everything all right cool and the other package looks like it's already been cooked it is grayish brown but it has not been cooked yet so we're having and there was i think three packages total and two were gray one looked good so oh no we need some more than just the one package that we think is good so uh, it smells okay travis says no it looks fine and we're like yeah okay well then those are yours and he's like all right reaches down grabs a chunk of it throws in his mouth not not anything just pops it down he's like yeah it's fine (laughs) and chris and i are just like what did you just do like oh great i don't know where the closest hospital is but (laughs) it's got to be far away so we go ahead and fry up four burgers and he gets the two gray ones and <laughs> and they decide after lunch uh well and actually i'll let chris tell that story if he wants to but we we checked equipment and all that and uh we thankfully ran into some awesome people camping next to us and one uh-huh. of the guys that got there before then um had some i don't even know what those things are called a quick quick fletch or I call them Easter egg fletchings. It's the little plastic tubes with the fletchings attached, and you literally just put it on your shaft, arrow shaft, and uh, <laughs> and then you boil some water and then just stick it in there, and it shrinks. But I was still having some issues with my bow, and um, we thought that we had some fletching contact going on. So he hooked me up, and, man, Chris, he's a, he's a hell of a dude. He's from uh, Wyoming, I believe, right? Um, yeah, Cody, Wyoming. So, uh, super awesome guy. And, uh, we actually shared camp with him and his buddies and, uh, they were great people and they've actually invited us back to hunt with them. So we're really, really fortunate and excited to, uh, to have even met those guys that I think they, well, they feed us like steak and potatoes one night, which was nothing short of phenomenal. It could have been gross steak and we would have gobbled it up, but it was pretty damn good steak and potatoes. So we we're kind of jacked about that. So I was going to ask about this is like, when you say you're like camping, are there like a bunch of other guys like around? Is this like normal? Like when I think of like deer camp or that kind of stuff, or when you go on these trips or whatever, like when I go to deer camp in the fall, every cabin's full, every campsite's full, you know, there's tons of guys from everywhere. Is that how this place is? Or is it just kind of like sporadic? So 
I, I think the word is out and most people are smart and just rifle hunt. Ah. <laughs> um, so, so we had, when we showed up, we got there kind of late and actually we ended up moving camp cause we didn't know that half of the campground was even there cause we oh. got there kind of in the dark and, um, like, Hey, there's the little restroom, which was a glorified porta potty that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. no running water or anything like that. And when we showed up, there was, there was like three or four tents, um, already set up underneath some trees right by the restroom, but there was nobody there. So we were, we were like, okay, well maybe they're out hunting or scouting or something, but it was, I mean, that was the day before the season. So we weren't quite yeah. sure what to think about it, but, um, so we set up that night slept and then um that next day in daylight we realized like oh there's a whole other camp area down here with a uh, pump for well water and or from the stream or wherever they're getting it from and um a couple a couple dedicated sites with picnic tables and yeah uh, you know you can tell like oh this is where we're supposed to be camping instead of <laughs> the parking lot up here and the grass that we found so we ended up moving camp down there and that's when the guy showed up from cody chris other chris and um so we told that he's like yeah i'm you know i'm the first one here we got a bunch of guys coming and they had uh one guy was from oklahoma um three or four of them ended up being from eastern nebraska and he was from Cody, Wyoming. And okay. there, there was probably even a couple other guys that I, they had guys showing up all throughout the day and that week mm -hmm. and stuff. So um, I'm sure I'm missing some of them, but he got there and I'm like, man, it, we were cooking lunch and kind of had the best spot because we were the only ones there. Right. And uh, it was huge. And so I'm like, well, if you've got all those people coming, we've literally got like one tent and two trucks. That's about it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, well, here, why don't you guys take this? We'll move over here because we hadn't moved the uh, tent down anyway yet yeah. at that point. So he, uh, he got set up, we moved our stuff and <clears throat> that's when Chris and Travis were formulating this game plan. Like, Hey, we're going to go over here. We're going to hike all the way to the back. We're going to go where I saw these deer. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, we just did four and a half miles or five miles and we didn't see a darn thing. Like, yeah. If I know anything, which I don't know much and I don't claim to know much, but I like to think outside the box and kind of try to, you know, if I were a deer, yeah. where would I be? And, and I think this is thankfully that we were at that point. Okay. With going after whitetails. Um, they were, they were going to hike in and go clear past where Travis had been the, the scouting trip before mm -hmm. because he didn't have time mm -hmm. to get that deep and, like man that's that sounds terrible <laughs> so um i was like okay well you guys go do you i'm gonna hang around here and and see what i can see so i uh i went over and decided that i was gonna hunt essentially i mean i'd have to get on onyx and find out but maybe like 400 yards from the campground like oh, okay not far yeah because that was like the corner of private public obviously there's a ton of traffic mm -hmm. on the road like mm -hmm. literally next to the road the only road through the whole place the campgrounds here i'm like you know uh, it it's super thick over there it's right on the corner zero people are going to go over there and i had also the benefit of the doubt that it was you know opening day 
Right. So I'm like, and Travis had been there and scouted, you know, everybody looks at it on the map and goes, well, if I can go way back here, yeah. way over there, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go right here and <laughs> see what happens. So, um, just kind of walked over. I mean, it was getting dark. I forget what time it was, but I, I only had maybe two hours okay. when I left camp before complete, you know, we're out of shooting light. So, um, I started just wandering around over there. I kind of had the wind in my face for most of how I was getting over there. And, um, I walked in and I got kind of the edge of this dune and it just went down into the Creek bed down there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started going down and as I was going down, there were some droppings and then I'd get further and some droppings and then there's some more droppings and these were old and these were newer and okay. these could be mule deer or something a little different elk. I don't know. If, you know, like I'm getting into a lot of different sign. Yeah. And then I get down into the bottom of it where there's some grass and there's a trail going this way. There's a trail going that way. And I can look over and I'm 50 yards from the border of private and you can just see where the trail goes over to the private yeah. and it comes over and it keeps going through over to the Creek. And I'm like, well, this looks like a pretty good spot. So I walked all the way over to the private and there's 15 more piles on the way over there. So I'm like, okay, this, this is where I want to be. We, yeah. we just hiked two and a half miles in, <laughs> but this, this is where I want to be. And so at that point I switched to, okay, I'm where I need to be or where I want to be, how do I hunt this? So I'm looking and I'm like, well, I could, I could perch up on the dune mm -hmm. and there's the yucca and just shrubs all over the place. I'm like, I, you know, I'm in green camo. I can get kind of behind something up there and kind of have an elevated perch, but I might get picked out. Yeah. The, you know, it gets, and that was the other thing is I'm sure the Western hunters are very familiar with it, but the temperature drops, are nuts like yeah. when we left um southwestern nebraska the uh, on the way up the truck was saying 100 degrees and that night that we got there which would have been the night beforehand it was 41 oh my goodness so in the same day we dropped 59 degrees and um so i was a little worried about if i go up top and then that sun goes down over the mountains and mm -hmm it just starts dropping and the thermals start dropping. I'm going to blow everything out of this bowl. Right. So I'm like, well, let's get down in there and try to find something off the trail, but on the trail that I can cover the trail and, and not be seen. And so I thought I picked a pretty good spot where I could see the fence. Um, I was losing daylight. I only probably had maybe 25 minutes left and uh, kind of had to make a decision. So I thought, you know, they could come from the way I just came in. They could come from the creek. They could be here already. So picked a spot and got in it. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm being quiet, but I'm not being stealthy at this point. I was just yeah. trying to get someplace and get set up. And um, I I go and kind of wedged myself between a couple shrubs not like way deep in there but just kind of mm -hmm. off the path and i hear for those whitetail hunters that have ever had it happen to you you'll know that sound where you hear something 
stomp behind you. Oh no! You didn't. No, no blowing. No, no taking off. Just the the foot stomp. And I'm like, well, that's good, but that's not good. So, <laughs> and and out there, I mean, as everybody knows now, more than ever, it's it's dry. Like yeah, um, with the fires and everything, and we actually dealt with some of that on the end of our trip. The smoke. Um, I can't move without, mm-hmm. but I'm like, well, at this point I've already moved a lot down here and it's still there. So I turn around and try to do it in as little stepping as possible, more pivoting. And I get around and of course I've got a pine right behind me that I can't really see through. I can, I can see down at an angle through it. Yeah but I'm not close enough to be able to see through it and see what's on the other side stomping at me. But I know this thing's 10 yards from me, maybe 12. Oh my goodness. And, uh, I'm like, well, if it's, if it was here that whole time, it's probably a buck. Like yeah. those, I think would have, you know, they would have split. They would have bolted already. Yeah. So I'm like, he was banking on the fact that I was just going to keep on keeping on and, and move through. So I'm not, you know, I, I hunt from a tree stand, so this is new to you. <laughs> yeah. New to me. I don't know how to play this one. I've right. Like Chris right. said that I've, I've not been in this a lot, not, you know, five, four or five years now. So uh, I'm trying to be aggressive, but not be stupid. Mm-hmm. And I really don't have a play here besides just kind of sidestep until I can get around this tree and see what happens. So I, I thought about waiting it out to see if it would come see what I was because if I can't see it, it can't see me. And I didn't walk out in front of where it could have. So, you know, it's, it's just as confused as I am probably. So I never did see it. I took a step to the right and literally as soon as I started to clear that tree and draw um, it, it took off and I got a kind of better look at what was behind there and it was super thick. So, it took off um, oh, man. and either it blew or a doe or something that was kind of where it ran to started blowing. Yeah. And it was, you know, 45, 50 yards away. And so that was lost and it was close to dark at that point. So I kind of gave up. So I started doing a little exploring and I was literally, I think I tried to range it and it was too close cause I didn't have something. That, I, I want to guess 11 yards from where this thing was bedded. Jeez. And just right on the other side of this pine and right off. I mean, I was two yards off the trail, so it was bedded about 15 yards into some thick stuff. Had an escape route, obviously, up the backside. And um, it kind of, I don't know, it made me feel good because I picked a place that was 10 yards from at least one of two deer. That well, were, yeah. You know, so it – it was bittersweet because I would have loved to have seen it and, and at least known like, okay, that was a, you know, a fork and nothing to be excited about. Or, you know, who knows it's a 125 inch buck <laughs> that would have been nice to shoot in velvet. So absolutely uh, a little bittersweet, but kind of felt I was on the right track with that one. And so got back to camp and then, uh, so that's, uh, that's starts the, the fun part of this story. So I'm just over there. The rest of these guys show up. They're over there having steak and potatoes and beers and having a good old time. And, uh, so I just, I'm like, well, Chris and 
Chris and Travis aren't back yet, so I'll grab a beer and go go sit over there with those guys uh-huh. and see what they're up to and what they got into today. And so, I mean, we're BSing for probably a solid half hour at that point. I came home and or back to camp and changed and got out, you know, got into some comfortable shoes and yeah, um, sitting over there having a good old time. And I see a light off in the distance coming back, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, you know, they're right there. And then like 10 minutes later <laughs> and they're still not back. I'm like, I just saw the light. It was right over there. What the hell are they doing? And, uh, they come just, I mean, I'll let Chris tell this part of the story, but I mean, they just come dragging ass into camp across the screen. <laughs> and I had started to walk over to meet him and I'm just looking, I'm like, what the heck did you guys do? Like, it was just, yeah, I'll let Chris go from here. Yeah. It's humorous and not fun for him. But <laughs> So my dear friend Travis Moose decided right before this trip that he was going to change his own life and get in shape, which is stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> there's one shape and it is circular or round. That's the fun shape. So anywho, uh he starts running and turns out that he like got halfway decent at it. And he's running like six miles at a time, which is even dumber. Um, <laughs> we go so far and also keep in mind. So like I'm chafing at this point. I'm, yeah. I'm struggling. my thighs and shit are rubbing and you know, you've poured <laughs> sweat all over that day and you've been all over the place and, you know, your pack's jerking you around and you're climbing sand up and down and across it and just dealing with everything and trying to be quiet. So we go to the very back of this place and we just know, and we did sneak up on a nice little buck bed uh-huh. probably 50, 60 yards away tops, but he saw us before we saw him and he shit his uh... pants, and took off and, uh, I will say the walk was worth it for the view. We watched yeah. the full moon for those of you that see uh, stuff that we post. Um, when I posted that picture of me with the full moon up with the mountains and everything, I mean, that was definitely one worth of the best nights of my life. But that damn Travis, <laughs> I, I said to Travis, Travis, do you think you can get us back to camp? Uh, Same exact way that we came. I can get back to camp. Can you take us the way that we came? Yes, Chris, I can. (laughs) Travis let me down. That son of a bitch. We got back. We got back and we're like, we hear the guys talking. I can smell the food and I am Uh keep in mind what I haven't talked about is we did 12.3 miles. You know what I ate that day? A little bit of granola Ugh. and some peanut M&Ms. And not, not, not enough fuel. A few Grippo chips, which for those of you that don't know, that is a barbecue potato chip that is exclusive to Cincinnati. Uh, we love them and we live for them. So uh, I probably had, we'll call it two to 300 calories that day. And that's that's on you the hike upside. twelve miles. Yes, goo. Yeah. That's like a I need bacon and eggs in the morning and toast and then 
a good lunch and then a good dinner. So I smell this food and I'm going ape shit. Like, man, somebody's got something good cooking. This is, this is going to be amazing. And, uh, of course, I also thought maybe there was a chance it was Matt cooking the food. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't at all. So we're like right there. I can see people at camp. And this dude leads us through cattails. And of course, where there's cattails, there's and swamp water. and water. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> you, you couldn't look at your Onyx. Like, I'm trusting you and following you. <laughs> you you couldn't point, hit like I'm the line mapping pissed. thing like, on there to show us come on. Back. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm like, okay, just shut up and don't say anything. Just put your anger, bury your anger deep down inside you and never let it return again. So we get back, and, uh, man, they they had steaks and potatoes and offered them up and everything. In fact, I think that was a different night because I think that's the night that we went into town. So here, uh -huh. um, hunters are like heralded. They're like great things to this economy yeah they are appreciated and needed so you're treated very well the lady that runs the bar keeps the bar open extra late just so she can accommodate hunters and cook them food and serve them drinks oh, that's and awesome all that and let me say that is the best mo freaking burger i've had anywhere mm -hmm. it so I ordered the double cheeseburger and they claim that it's a half pound patty <laughs> and I got the double. So it's going to be a pound, right? It's a pound. I'm like, yeah, okay. Horse shit. I've heard Size this before and tire. then you get it and it looks like a damn white castle burger. So like it's <laughs> tiny, uh, for those of you in the South or whatever crystal or whatever, but you know, it's, it's like a slider. Well, we get in there, dude, this burger was like, eight inches tall <laughs> it was insane <laughs> uh with the bun and bacon and everything like it was amazing though so um awesome that was a crazy day we it, it was like it was like a 14 dollar burger just it, that's without the bacon i think the bacon was extra Jesus Pete's. so that we're on par here for <laughs> those that obviously were not there and did not get to witness <laughs> the debacle that was him eating it all <laughs> hey that that made that made up for doing the 12.3 miles <laughs> i was struggling dude i i went in there and praised that lady's name and just started sucking down waters and cokes and freaking uh like you could i could feel my blood sugar return <laughs> it was crazy so and of course i i mean you know this is day one and i already smell like a dead goat I yeah mean, it's just rough so uh we got up the next day um we trap that that was uh yeah we got up the next day it was gonna be like 100 degrees or something uh-huh and, and so we drove to wyoming looked at our shitty pronghorn unit and uh we saw a few pronghorn and everything uh so you guys actually drove into wyoming too to scout yeah. for your for your other upcoming trip. Okay, so we drove into Wyoming to check out our shitty pronghorn unit, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was some pronghorn. Uh, we're hoping we kill some pronghorn, and we have rifle tags. So, um, 
that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> um, so we come back. We went around that evening, and I got an idea. This is kind of where you know we kind of made another good decision. I feel like so we're talking about these dudes in camp, you know, and these guys have been coming here for 17 years and hunting. Mm-hmm. And you don't go somewhere for 17 years in a row because it sucks. Right. And because you don't kill stuff. So I'm like, well, what are these guys doing? And as we're talking to them, we kind of figure out like they're kind of road hunting. Like essentially they're driving up and down these roads and looking for something. And then they get out and spot and stalk it. Yeah. So that way they don't have to walk their ass off. Well, this is genius. <laughs> so I'm like, let's go drive out there. And we'll look. So we drove out in the flat areas. We found a few mule deer does. First mule deer we had seen other than we saw some on private at night Uh at like 11 o'clock at night or something. So we saw mule deer does and we're kind of jacked. Well, we drive up to the other end. Shit, we saw a little buck and seven mule deer does and babies. And so I'm like, okay re let's redo everything uh-huh. let's come up here in the morning you drop me off over here go park the truck and walk over onto the other side and we're gonna kill one of these little bastards and <laughs> be heroes dude we're gonna bring back the title to cincinnati basically <laughs> but we would have felt that way too it could have been a 40 inch velvet mule deer buck <laughs> and i would have sent everybody into the ground so we get up the next morning, we get our stuff packed and we're driving up. And as we are passing the last little bit of public and entering private again, uh-huh. our, our game plan is to go up, turn around and come back. So we're headed the correct direction. Yeah. I skyline these two deer and I'm like, dude, look at this. And there are two velvet bucks on this little hillside. What, what were they? 200 yards or so? roughly 250 yards from Uh the public which is nothing and i'm going to call the two deer that we could see the racks on in that 150 ish wow they could have been 155 they could have been 140 at a glance i can tell you that they were basically out to their ears and anybody that knows a mule deer Uh knows that they have big ass ears ears yeah and you're probably talking about you know if i had to guess probably like a 20 inch inside spread. I mean, that's a damn good deer. Yeah. And it's, they're coming up pretty tall too. I mean, they're, they're good deer. So we go up there and turn around and I'm, I'm losing my shit. I'm like, this is happening. One of us is going to kill a deer. We come back and the other two that we couldn't see, there were four all together, but the other two were eating the other two or what one's like alongside of the road trying to cross and the other one's walking down the middle of the road, Oh, geez. a car length or two ahead of us. And let me just state for the record, these things look like freaking reindeer, dude. Like they are huge. <laughs> uh-huh. Both of them would have been the biggest deer in my life by a considerable amount. Uh-huh. My 170 inch white tail would have fit inside their rack with, many inches on both sides like they were very big ass deer wow well about that time i'm thinking you know matt get up and kind of push them 
over, you know, cut them off and yeah. get them over there and then run down there, drop me off and get out and we'll, we'll see if we can head them off because they're headed right for the damn public land. Right. And they're not far from it at all. And uh, a car comes through, what, 40, 50 miles an hour. Uh, like literally didn't even slow down, like at all. You'd have thought it was bowling for mule deer, dude. They scattered and it just, it completely ruined our shot at getting on those deer. So uh, then we went back and sat that evening in the same spot. Matt had a little mule deer doe come mm-hmm. up on him and we were kind of to the point where we had made the decision that it was worth it more to get home to our families than to right. maybe try to kill like an 80 inch whitetail right or uh you know use another day up to maybe get to see mule deer because again most of these mule deer are on the private farms um mm. at this point so we went ahead and packed up and left and got on the road. And it's funny. I volunteered to drive first and let Matt get a little bit of sleep so he could take over later. Uh-huh. Dude, we're driving and we get into the sand hills and I woke his ass up swerving. There are fucking mule deer everywhere. <laughs> I mean, every, every four miles, dude, I'm like putting the brakes on and, and they're, they're all like standing on the side of the road. They're not 10 yards off the road they're on the damn road oh, I'm like what the hell are you doing so um you know i don't consider the the trip a fail um well no it doesn't sound like it at all lot. it sounds like you learned a whole heck of a lot we, we learned a lot man and when we talk to other guys that do this more than us because again you know we've only done a few big out-of-state trips like this right and what i think you have to realize when you do this is you got to go out there with the expectation that it is not going to be how you think it is right? ever, no matter what you see on YouTube TV or what somebody tells you, you know, whether they did a DIY or went on private land or with an outfitter. Um, it's not going to be like that. You're going to have to learn quickly and you have to force yourself out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and adapt right now. We made the decision to leave a spot that we had scouted for a couple of weeks and bail out and drive four hours north of that to go to another spot that we had scouted and, and still were little doing little mini adaptations as we went. And, uh, one story we forgot to tell that spot that Matt went like super close. I think it was closer than even 400 yards, but the spot I, we called it the spot in camp. And when I say in camp, I, drew on a deer that was basically in camp oh wow there was a nice white tail buck he was about almost out to his ears i would say uh-huh. um he'd probably be 100 110 inches yeah on a good day i had him at 80 yards and we were about to square off <laughs> and he took off so um i'm glad he did because uh while i think it would have been cool he wasn't in velvet and uh you know that's that's really not what we went out there for. Right. Um, so now we're headed back out. Uh, we've got a mid October rifle tag for pronghorn. And then we're hoping we can fill those tags. Pray to Jesus that we fill those <laughs> tags and fill quickly. Yeah. And uh, I have two doe tags and a buck tag and Matt has a buck tag because he's not good enough to draw two doe tags. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I always rub that in on him. So, um, we're hoping we get done with that quick and we can get back. We're going to go to the Sand Hills, the okay. original place that we wanted to hunt. 
from the start and try to get on some mule deer. And if we do, great. If we don't, we might go join our buddies. They invited us to hunt with them uh, in eastern Nebraska, so that's like okay. closer to home. And uh, so we're really looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, we, we are disappointed that we didn't get, you know, like I didn't get footage of those deer or anything, which, yeah. you know, I could kick myself, but at the same rate, you know, we're trying to make something happen. And um, I'll be honest, I got flustered and forgot everything about life at that point. So <laughs> it happens, uh, man, it happens to the best of us, but it sounds it like does. it was a hell of a trip no matter what. So it was fun. And, and again, you know what, what we talked about, um, you'll never have something that is epic if you don't go through some struggle exactly. and, and adversity and everything. And while it sucks and it's kind of embarrassing and everything else, cause people are watching, you know, we come back here empty handed, but what those people didn't get to see was the camaraderie we experienced. And I hate to sound cliche and everybody who's unsuccessful says this, but I'd say it like, last year when we went down and I killed my piebald. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. The sort of bro time that we had, that was the cool part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the camaraderie, the, um, you know, these trips are about that more than anything. And the people that we met in camp and everything, I mean, it's just really cool. So, uh, if we go out there and we put two mule deer bucks and two pronghorn bucks and two pronghorn does down, mm-hmm. well, then it, we're going to be super glad that we didn't, you know, find success on this trip. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. we'd like to, but that's going to be cool as hell. So, yeah. well, good luck um, to you guys. Yeah. Thank you, man. So we're, we're hoping, uh, we've got some pretty good spots for turkeys and pronghorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever want to kill a white tail doe, <laughs> <laughs> you, you would go and see 15 or 20 does on a set. It's, it's insane. And, and we're just sitting there like, okay, God, let a let a tiny little buck come out just so I can scare the <laughs> shit out of him, and never never did. So man, um, well, you got any concluders, Yanni? Um, I mean, not necessarily. It, it sounds like that we both, while we had <clears throat> unsuccessful trips in terms of bringing back uh, the the food side of it, it, it sounds like that we were both kind of successful in learning some stuff and understanding things a little bit better for the next time that we go in, on these trips like this. But, um, yeah, you know, the thing, the thing that I kind of always go back to is that, you know, when you go out the first time, you're not expected to, you know, absolutely, you know, wreck it every time. Like you're just, you're right. not going to do that. So you go out, you learn, you get, you get new stuff, you get new knowledge and you figure things out. And that's what we both kind of did on our, our trips. And, you know, I, I would say in terms of concluding, uh, everything, you know, I believe that going into, um, whitetail season here in, uh, in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Midwest, that kind of area. Um, I, I, I think that success is going to be a lot easier to come by. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh the freezers will be full and then things will go good uh i do have one concluder so for those of you who have heard me talk about it in the past uh the farm that i that i hunt that i thought that i that i we lost <laughs> that we weren't gonna be able to go to uh we got a call the other day and we are allowed to go back and hunt the property 
Side note to it. <laughs> They're hoping to log it. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But the last time that that happened, they decided to do it the week of the rut. <laughs> so oh. hopefully, fingers crossed, they don't have a, um, a contract right now to log it. But if they do, I killed a deer that year, and I'll just I'll figure something out, and um, I'm going to get my Ohio deer this year. There you go. Well, I expect to get to hunt together a little bit, too, because yeah. I love screaming at you. Um, <laughs> it's a favorite pastime of mine. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for you guys. I know that property is pretty important to you guys. Yeah. You've been going there for so long um, with your dad and uncle and everything. So um, my concluder, man so many concluders to be had here uh if you do an out-of-state trip like i said be super adaptable don't don't be yourself you know when you're back here in the east and you you go to your same tree stand and everything that for anybody that follows like dan and fault and some of these other guys from the hunting beast that uh, i mean they just they figure out a way to kill a deer and you know, what Matt did, like, I was just so jacked because he's, you know, he didn't tell you this part. He's a little too humble. He, um, he sat there talking to me. He's like, so look on this map and tell me one single place that nobody would go hunting. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, they wouldn't hunt here. <laughs> and and he's like, exactly. I'll see you tonight, basically. And I'm yeah. like, shit dude that's pretty good idea man that's well think think of it this way too the story that we tell about that striper that you caught uh last year when you beat my bass um that was dead like dead water no one thought yeah it was gonna be yeah you'd never you'd never be like oh look oh my god there's fish stacked in there and yeah that's the truth yeah that any concluders well the part i left out of that original story so uh what you i think it was our last day uh you wanted to take a nap or yeah. something yeah it was lunchtime and yeah. and we went back to, we decided to go back to camp and uh grab a bite to eat and you know we were just lounging around it's like one o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. we weren't gonna we had the plan that we were gonna pack up and i think that was thursday and we were gonna you know go ahead and tear the tent down and get everything packed up get the truck reorganized yeah. and loaded and um be ready to roll unless something crazy happened right. after that evening hunt um so yeah he's like okay i'm gonna lay down before we take the tent down and i'm like well you know i'm pretty good to go i slept good last night so i'm gonna go back over there and give it another whirl and just explore i didn't expect to run into anything at right. one o'clock in the afternoon but i'm like there's water it's cooler it's thick um that that breeze kind of comes off the private and gets in there and it, it was a good spot to be we'd already seen you know he just told you he drew on that other deer that was right in there yeah so i i went back and went over to where i where i was and kind of went deeper back in there and I, you know well let's see where this deer went or where i think it went how did it escape here i just a learning experience yeah yeah and so I got back in there and found out it actually, it was a really nice whitetail place because it opened up and um, there were some more trails and a couple beds. And so I was walking, I'm like, well, let's go back over towards the private where the fence was and, and see if there's any other sign other than that one trail. And 
I went up in there, hadn't jumped anything, hadn't heard, seen, you know, not a lot of sign. There wasn't like there was over on the other one uh-huh. uh, where I was before. And I stopped and it was, like I said, it was, it was getting in the afternoon. The The temperature was coming up. So, you know, I had my clothes on from the morning still. So I took off my hoodie and dropped my pack, you know, pulled the hoodie off and putting it in the pack, grabbed some water. And that first day that I went over there, I, I stopped like 11, 12 yards from that bedded buck. And so I'm, uh, put my pack back on and, uh, just put my water back in the pack, pick my bow up and something tears ass out from uh, underneath a tree about 15 yards to my, like, I don't know, seven, eight o'clock yeah. like behind me to the left. And I look over real quick and I see the white tail and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I did it again. Like it didn't give me any warning that time, but I was literally, I stopped and pretty much had a break 15 yards from another deer over there. Jeez, oh, and it just watched me the whole time. And then once I, you know, kind of was ready to go again and keep moving that way, it decided, okay, this is close enough. And so I, I've, Saw him tear through there, wasn't able to get an eye on a rack of any kind. So I busted ass up to the top of that dune and ended up yeah. catching him, hightailing it into the woods. And it was just a little fork or anything. Yeah, you know, it wasn't anything I would have shot, but just kind of ironic that the closest anybody got to deer was, <laughs> you know, a few hundred yards from camp. And by happenstance of just stopping next to where they're bedded. So it, it always seems promising. to be that way. Yeah. And as a concluder, I would just say, especially for these Western trips, but just, I mean, there's enough people on here that are going to be hunting in some mm-hmm. pretty remote places. Yes. Um, being a car guy, one of the things that's overlooked a lot, and we found out almost the hard way on uh, one of these gravel roads when we were trying to bust it back to get to a spot and check it before it got dark was, um, if, if, so I've been giving Chris crap for <laughs> about two and a half years now about replacing the shocks. Cause I think you get what, like 135,000 miles on the truck or whatever, still Ooh. original shocks. So I give him heck like, you know, yeah, you might want to get those replaced, you know, start looking at that stuff. Well, the reason being, and we, we found out and it's not a hundred percent shocks. I mean, it's just part of the road, but we yeah. were on some of these gravel roads out there and we were, we weren't like going crazy but i mean 40 45 miles an hour and uh, i mean it's all flat so you're yeah. not expecting anything and we're looking and we're scanning and uh, i look back to the road and we're we're a little sideways and uh he comes back like oh and, and you know overcorrects just a little bit and then gets uh, the, you know get the the wheel whipping and uh cuz we just hit a, a, a just one of those anomalies where you hit the right speed yep. and, and the bumps and the reverberation just kind of worked right. And there's a little bit of a groove because everybody's on one side or the other. So that crown in the middle of the road. Um, so just make sure that you're safe. And, and we talk about tree stand safety, but yep. you know, some of these places that we hunt, there's no cell service. Yeah, not everybody knows where you're at. So if you end up running off the road in a ditch 
or down a ravine or, or something like that due to, you know, bald tires or, or bad shocks or crappy headlights or, you know, whatever, just make sure that we're taking care of everything about the hunt too. check your, check your straps. Yep. Make sure that if you are using a harness and a rope that it's not frayed and that it's not 10 years old and and just because you have one doesn't mean it's good and it's going to keep you safe. So always check your equipment, make sure it's your due diligence. Yeah. If you got bow strings that are 15 years old, you might want to change those, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to, don't want something to break and smack you in the face. Change your damn bow strings in June. What's wrong with you people changing your bow strings at the end of September for the love of God. So, all right, man. So I, you know, I think we've got plenty of stuff to look forward to in the coming months. And, you know, I know for me, I've got a, you know, a trip coming up, but I hope, 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 hope um, I get out in the woods uh, on Friday and it's going to be my first time out this season. So, I'm excited to check trail cams uh, tomorrow and hopefully have deer on camera in daylight. So you're slacking. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've got, I've got pictures already. I need, I need to make, I, you know, they're, they're come they're coming in pretty, uh, pretty regularly. I just want to make sure that they're coming in in daylight, but I, I am uh, almost 20 days into the season without a sit yet. But um, this weekend is like perfect, perfect weather. Kentucky, remember, we season's been in for almost 20 days. Yeah, I knew that part. It was the other part that made No, me... that I haven't had a sit yet? Jesus. Well, I mean, I was gone I was gone for almost 2 yeah, weeks out of the country. Okay. I'll, all right. <laughs> yeah, pass. You get a pass. Yeah. What was the first day of Kentucky's season? It's like September, uh, one September one. It was when we got back. It was like the it was late this year, wasn't it? Like the seventh. September sixth, yeah. wasn't it? So I mean, Six. I'm I'm only ten days. Yeah, All ten right. days. Yeah. Uh, Never mind. Fifth. 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 All right, okay. eleven days. So you're I'm not you're not that slacking that bad. Yeah, we'll yeah. cut you a pass. Yeah, but uh, as a reminder for people, muzzleloader in Kentucky, October the uh, October the fifteenth. It's uh, or October the 16th and 17th. It's that weekend. So be aware that uh, there's plenty of spots to go do that at. And it's a great early opportunity to get your gun out and uh, make sure it's set. Yeah. Um, for those of you that saw and liked our video on the cell phone setup, we are going to do another one this week to go a little more in depth uh, on some tips and tricks with editing. And we're going to give examples of, what a deer looks like at 20, 30, 40 with the camera or with the phone lens and then with the 3X telelens installed and uh, then kind of show you a little bit about editing and scaling the image. Good deal. The, the image. So, uh, and we're also going to show off our new uh, camera arm and base setups as well with the uh, OCB boat buckles by Eastern Woods Outdoors. Um, they're, uh, it, it, it's got to be, one of, if not the best setups I've ever seen or experienced when it comes to filming. Because for those of you that have done it, that stuff takes up a lot of room in your pack. It weighs you down and it takes a lot of extra time to set up and it's noise and everything. And it's just, it's a bitch, man. It discourages you from filming. And this is something that I am encouraged. So I'm pretty pumped about that. But uh, 
super thankful to everybody that uh, watched our video and, and that supports these podcasts as well. We're going to do a giveaway. Oh, yeah. um, we're running one now. So if you're listening to this and you haven't gotten in on it, uh, it's for a lineman's rope from Bullman Outdoors. Um, it's made of sterling Oplux. And it's, I don't like to say the best, but if it's not the best, it's got to be tied for the best as far as rope goes. It bites mm-hmm. into itself and the tree is really nice. Um, so we're doing a giveaway for that with some carabiners. It's like a $60 value. Um, it's also, I believe, going to come with a prusik tender. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, that allows you to basically operate your lineman's rope with one-handed operation. Um, similar to having a rope man one, but again, less weight, no metal that shines or clangs and all that. So, and it doesn't eat the rope up as well. Um, I think we're going to give away a trail cam though next week once we get through this. So, uh, but yeah, we appreciate you guys. Be on the lookout guys. So, all right. Well, this has been fueled by the outdoors. I mean, we've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. And we were joined by Matt Amrine this week, and we hope to hear from you guys. And we can't wait to hear success stories and uh, stories about your tribulations out in the wilderness as well. So, Chris, you have a good week. Matt, you as well. Yep, you too, man. All right. Take it easy. All right. Bye, guys. See you. do it for our podcast today please remember to subscribe like review on all major podcasting platforms we are available on apple google TuneIn, Castbox, spotify and all other major podcasting platforms as always we are available for contact at the elite outdoors one at gmail.com that is the elite outdoors the number one at gmail.com thanks a lot guys talk to you next time